Welcome back to the podcast. In this next series of sermons, we're talking about our purpose, our mission, and our values here at First Pres. We're calling it the Bare Necessities, which might seem a little silly, but you'll understand as we go along. We're using the Gospel of John and the Book of Genesis. I hope you enjoy it. So for the past few weeks, we've been talking about the bare necessities, these values that we've established that guide us as we pursue our purpose to be a church that loves God and loves others, a church that's on a mission to go and make disciples. And over these weeks, we're just simply making the argument that if we're going to be effective disciple-making disciples who love God and love others, we just need to keep growing in some areas. We need to grow in our understanding of the biblical story. And we call that biblical literacy. It's important to know how to read and apply the scripture to our daily lives. It's not just some thousands of year old document. It is relevant and helpful as we get up and live every day. We need to grow in the depth of our relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We call that spiritual formation. To remember that the point is not to just know about Jesus but to truly come to know Jesus. We need to grow in our partnership with Jesus and bringing order and hope into a world that's full of chaos and despair. We call that mission focus. And then finally, our fourth value, the final guidepost along the path of being a disciple making disciple is gospel fluency. And I've heard from a few of you, Chad, what is that? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about today. Hopefully by the end of today, you'll at least have an idea of what we mean when we use that phrase gospel fluency. The truth is it means many things. And we're gonna be discussing that. We're gonna devote the entire next sermon series to unpacking gospel fluency even more. But for today, as a simple introduction to this value, I'd like to show you that gospel fluency is simply about two questions. Where did Jesus meet you? And how is he transforming your life? So to do this, I want to read the story that Beth told us from John's gospel. It's a pretty long story. John has a lot to say. So let's see if this story of a woman sitting by a well might help us to understand just the basics of gospel fluency for today. So this comes from John chapter four. Like I said, it takes the entire chapter. uh, So I would encourage you to go home um, and read it for yourself in its entirety. It starts like this. When he, Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? (laughs) When I read that verse, go back to it. That just cracks me up. Um, one, just thinking the livestock drink from the well too. (laughs) It's definitely not the same as today. Uh, But it cracks me up because she mentions uh, Jacob and then separately the sons and the livestock together. I feel like that's on purpose, but 
that's for another week. We'll come back some other time. Uh, let's keep going. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now that's interesting because we only got the story about the husbands, right? She told the townspeople, he told me everything I ever did. So there's more to this story. They talked about more. I think it's interesting that John thought, all right, we can tell the whole world for thousands of years about all these husbands, but the rest of her life, that is none of your business, (laughs) y'all. They came out of the town. They made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know this man really is the savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. So in the previous chapter in John 3, Jesus has an encounter with this upstanding member of the Jewish council, this man named Nicodemus. He's a trusted, respected member of his society. And then here in the very next chapter, Jesus has an encounter with someone who is quite the opposite. I mean, she was everything that you really don't want to be in her society. She was a woman in her day. Who would listen to anything that she has to say? She was a Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans were not friendly. That's an understatement. As they're having the conversation, uh, we find out that she has moved on from man to man. So she has either just moved on from man to man or marrying this woman brought you the worst kind of luck ever. (laughs) We don't really know. We just know there's been a lot of men. As they're talking, she tries to mislead Jesus, to misdirect Jesus. She uses religious debates to change the subject. She comes to him a mess. So Bethry told the story really well. I want to show you something interesting as the whole chapter plays out. I want to show you how Jesus is introduced step by step. When she first meets Jesus, we are given the name Jesus. That's how he's introduced in the story just the name his mama gave him. But then she recognizes that he is a Jew. And she's startled that they're having the interaction at all because of course in that culture, women had little to no interaction with men who were not part of their family. And again, Samaritans had no interaction with Jews. So as they begin 
to have this kind of strange religious debate about water wells and mountains. The woman moves from knowing that he's a man named Jesus who's a Jew to start to have a deeper regard for him. She begins to refer to him as Kyrie. Now, some translations, the one we read, uses the word sir, but in Greek, the word Kyrie is the word Lord. She is moving from this basic knowledge about his identity to now giving him a title of respect and really inviting him to have some authority over her. And then they have this awkward discussion about her many, many, many men. And the discussion leads her to realize, okay, he's more than just a Jewish man named Jesus. He deserves more than just a title of respect. She recognizes him as a prophet. And it was then, after he goes on to tell her all the things about her life, that she makes a really powerful connection. She has an aha moment. She says, I know that Messiah is coming, called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. That might have been like an internal monologue at first, right? But she just says it out loud. It's like she just puts it out there just to see what he would say in response. And he understands what she's doing and he's gracious to her and he makes it really plain and clear. He uses two words that are central to John's revelation of who Jesus is. He says, I am. I'm the one, the one talking to you. I am he. So this marginalized woman has now encountered a man like she's never encountered before. This is the son of God and she knows it. See, in this story, there is revelation. And we get to watch as for this woman, that revelation of who Jesus is from a Jewish man to the Messiah, it travels the farthest distance in the universe between her head and her heart. He's just a Jewish man. Now he's revealed to be the one that everybody has been looking for. She goes from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus, the Christ. But that's not the end of the story. It actually would be a tragic story if it ended there. The woman who, remember, she went to the well to get water. She leaves that water behind and she runs back home. And she tells the people in town, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The first thing she does is go and tell others who and what she has found. And you need to remember that. After one encounter with Jesus the very next thing she does is go and tell others what she knows about him. And y'all, there's a pattern throughout the gospels. If you have a name in the gospels, if you're one of the named 12 disciples or even somebody like Nicodemus, you meet Jesus, but you're kind of confused the whole time. You don't really know what's going on until we get to the book of Acts and they receive the Holy Spirit. But... In the Gospels, if you have no name, if you're a bleeding woman, if you're a leper, if you're a blind man, if you're a woman sitting by the well, those are the people who respond and immediately go and tell others who Jesus is. It's like the Gospels are intentionally telling us it's not important that you know their name, it's important you know what they did. They responded appropriately when they met Jesus. 
But that's not the end of the story. The people of the town, they go to see him for themselves, but John tells this to us in a remarkable way. It's actually really unbelievable considering all the circumstances. They didn't go to see Jesus to find out if the woman was right. They went to him because they believed her. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Why? Because of the woman's testimony. And then they went to him. It goes on to tell us that he stayed with them for a couple days and because of that, many more came to believe. She has an encounter with Jesus and she comes to recognize and confess that Jesus is the Christ. She then immediately shares that good news about Jesus the Christ with others. And by sharing Jesus with others, many from her town will come to confess for themselves that Jesus is Lord. The story ends with the town people saying what is maybe the most important thing in the story. They say, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is who? The savior of the world. The final revelation of who Jesus is in John chapter four, it's the point he's heading to in his entire gospel. It's revelation that John uses this long drawn out chapter Because it takes a long time for that revelation to make it the farthest distance in the universe, from my head to my heart. So this story, this chapter, it's about many things. It's about many things that we don't have time to talk about today. But at the very least, it's a story about Jesus meeting a broken woman in the midst of her brokenness and then bringing order and hope to a life that was full of chaos. It's a story about that woman then partnering with Jesus to bring order and hope to the lives of others simply by telling them what she's found. That woman went from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus. She then partners with Jesus to bring order and healing to the lives of others. And she does that by taking a bold and courageous step. She takes the risk and she tells them what happened. And that is the beginning of gospel fluency. I won't lie, it's not easy. This woman's story proves that. She made a brave choice to become a witness. She was a no one living on the margins of society. These villages are small. Everybody knows everybody's secrets. Have you guys ever lived in a small town? Everybody knows everybody's dirt. There are no secrets. They knew who she was. They knew her story. She's a sinner's sinner, just like them. What's different is that she can't help herself but tell others the good news that she's found. But here's the miracle in the story, and this is really good news for us. The miracle is not that she went and told the good news to others. That is actually just a simple act of obedience. That's what we're expected to do. The miracle is that others listened, that the town listened, that they believed, that they found Jesus, that they found salvation because she was brave and told them what she knew. 
See, the good news for us is that it's the Holy Spirit that opens the ears and the minds and the hearts of those that we have the privilege to tell. Y'all, it's not on us to save anyone. We can't save anyone. Our job is simply to point, to be witnesses, to testify to others simply what we know, and then trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Over time, we stand right by their side the entire time. We guide them along the path as we have been guided along the path, but we are not the ones doing the saving. We are simply making the introduction. A disciple is someone who has been united with Christ. They're being remade to be like Christ so that they can partner in the mission of Christ in the world. And disciples of Jesus make more disciples of Jesus. That's the job. But the good news is that all you have to do is just tell people what you know. Then walk with them and continue to share what you know about Jesus as you grow, as you get to know him more. You share with them what you've come to know. As you have been united with Christ, tell that story to one other someone. That's what Sabrina always likes to say. Tell them so that they might find union with Christ. As you are being remade to be like Christ, tell that story to some other someone. Tell them who you were. And then tell them through Christ who you are becoming. And then as you partner with Christ and his mission in the world, invite that other someone to join you in the work. It's really important. It's really important to notice how the story didn't go. She didn't meet Jesus by this well and then go off to seminary for three years so that she could learn everything there is to learn about Greek and Hebrew and biblical history and all the different theologies that have come up over the years. She didn't have to go away and do anything to become ready to be an effective witness to the good news of Jesus. All she had to do was offer what she knew, her encounter with Jesus and the revelation that he is the Messiah. That's it. And y'all, that's the point. At least at the beginning level, you don't have to know much. You just have to know Jesus. I mean, most of you, you're not commissioned to go teach the world the nuances of biblical languages. <laughs> you're not being asked to go convince scientists and atheists that God is real, much less that Jesus is the means of salvation for all humanity. You don't have to be able to quote every Bible verse, and you don't have to have the prayer life of St. Francis before you're ready to do this. All you have to do is go. Go and tell them what you have found. Tell them where Jesus found you and how he's transforming your life. You see, gospel fluency is about many things. It is about growing as disciples of Jesus. It's about living the gospel in our daily lives. It's about more than just what we say. It's about the kind of community that we are trying to form here, a community that models kingdom living to our neighbors by bearing one another's burdens, by walking alongside them and bearing their burdens as well. And we're going to talk about all that in the coming weeks in the next series. But at the very least, gospel fluency is about knowing Jesus and then telling others what you know. 
Y'all, here's what I know. I know that Jesus found me when I was lost. A kid with real father issues. I mean like real father issues. I grew up in the church and when I prayed the Lord's Prayer, I couldn't say our father. Because what I had experienced, I had hoped that that's not what God was like. I was a kid with real church issues. When I was 12, I've told some of you, I was taken, invited to go to a church camp for a week and they made me drink pickle juice and play stupid games and do all the stuff you do at church camp. And at the end of the week, they invited me to pray a prayer with them and I prayed the prayer. And then that Sunday, they baptized me in this tub in the middle of worship. And then from Monday on, they never called me again. Some of that's on me. I should have taken it more seriously. But what they wanted was my name on a list of people they converted. They didn't care about making me a disciple. They had serious church issues. I was a nobody who had no voice. And I'm telling y'all, even to this day, I wake up every Sunday, why does anybody care to listen to anything that I have to say? Because I know my story. And I know that he's transforming me into a person that I couldn't become on my own. That's all you have to do, y'all. That's how it starts. Just what is that story for you? Now, as I've grown, as I've followed the path of being a disciple of Jesus, I've learned that there's a lot more to it. I've learned that I was originally made in the image of God for a purpose. And that when he made me, he called me good. Like he was glad he did it. I've learned that I've been offered the fullest life imaginable if I would only trust and depend on God. I've learned that I have, and sometimes I continue to choose selfishness, to choose disobedience. And every time I do, my world devolves into chaos. I've learned that I have, and sometimes I still do, not think that being like God is enough. Being his image bearer isn't enough. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. I want to be the one who decides for myself what's right and wrong. And that every time I reach for control that's not mine to take, all control is lost. And that's where Jesus finds me. I don't have to be fixed for him to find me. He finds me in my brokenness, as broken as I can be. And I know now that Jesus has offered to give me what I can't purchase for myself, a way back to the God in whose image I was made. And that way back is through his life, death, and resurrection. So that through the power of his spirit, I can live today as a living, breathing anticipation of the kingdom life that he has promised to bring with him when he comes again. You don't have to be able to say it just like that. That's taken me like 30 years to work through all that. (laughs) It's a process. You start where you are. And as you know more, You just share what you know. As I continue to work through all of this, I've been commissioned by my Savior to bring others along for the ride. But not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a disciple. And that is the calling on your life too. Every single one of you. A disciple of Jesus makes disciples of Jesus. It's not like the next step if you want to. It's not an option. You've been saved for a purpose. 
And he told us that that purpose is to go make disciples, to bring others the good news that we have received. So I really do want to challenge you. We don't talk about challenges much here, but maybe, maybe we should more than we do. I want to challenge you today to go home and just write a simple paragraph that just says the truth that you know about Jesus. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be complete. It can be very messy. But just start by writing down the truth that you know about Jesus. Where and when did he come to you in your brokenness? How is he bringing you out of it? What's happening in your life as a result? Why do you have any hope in the midst of a world that's falling apart every day? And just start writing it down. Maybe right now you don't know. You don't know how to tell that story because you've never really thought about it. And I get it. But y'all, that's an excuse. It's not a reason. The woman at the well was a no one who knew nothing. And she went and told the whole town what happened when she found Jesus. And they found Jesus because of it. She had every reason and every excuse to keep quiet. Nobody would have blamed her. But she didn't. And neither should you. You see, at the end of the day, we can be biblically literate, we can be spiritually formed, we can be mission focused, and all of that is great. But we can't go and make disciples if we're not willing to take the bold step and tell other people what we know about Jesus. You cannot make a disciple if you can't talk to them about Jesus. And I do understand that it's really hard right now, right? This culture doesn't seem to be super receptive to the story. Is that an understatement, maybe? Maybe they just don't care, or maybe they're like really antagonistic to the story, and I get it. We don't want to put ourselves out there like that. We don't want to be attacked. But y'all, we cannot be more afraid of people. We cannot be more afraid of what people might say or think about us then we are afraid for them. Afraid of what'll happen, what life will be like for them to wake up every day without the restoration and hope that Jesus has given to us. We have got to be a people who are more afraid for our neighbor than we are afraid of our neighbor. When you go home today, just look down your street. If you don't know the names of the people on your street, take some time and get to know them. But think of the names and the faces of the people just on your street and ask yourself, do they have the hope that I have? Ask yourself if they wake up tomorrow and they face some unexplainable tragedy, real suffering that we all face at one point or another, will they, will they be able to make it through? Will they have any hope when they suffer? Will they have people who will come around them and care for them as they go through the most difficult of times. Look down your street and think of the names and faces and then just write down the answer to these really important questions. How did Jesus meet you in your brokenness? How did Jesus bring you out of it? And what is happening in your life as a result? If you'll write down those answers and then look for opportunities to tell others so that they might come to know the hope that you have. And the reality is anytime we get together in a large group of people, there may be some people here who don't know the answers to those questions yet because maybe you haven't really met Jesus. And y'all, that's okay. Because you're loved. 
and he's waiting. Sitting by the well, ready to give you that living water too. If that's you, let one of us tell you more about him. You're here, so you took the first step. All you got to do is take the next right step. There are disciples all around you. Ask someone, but be patient. Recognize that we know that we're sinners, that we are broken. We simply have a a story to tell about somebody who is working through us to make things right again. That's all we have to offer. But if you'll give us the chance, I know so many people here would love to tell you that story. Disciples, you need to be ready because they just might ask. Glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would continue to be merciful and kind as you always are. That you'd given us a task that, especially in this culture we live in now, just feels overwhelming. It feels impossible. Um, It feels terrifying. Um, So we pray that you'd give us the courage and the strength, the words. You remind us of the story that you're telling through our lives, the way that you have met us, how you were changing us. And then show us the opportunities that you have placed before us so that we can help bring that hope and that healing to others. We cannot do this on our own. We're reminded of the power of your spirit within us to do that work. Now teach us to be obedient to it, to rely on it, and to take that brave next step and just be willing to say your name to one other someone. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.